Amen. And let's open our Bibles, please, today to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5. 1 Peter, chapter 5. I'd like to talk to you today about encouraging the pastors. The reason why I'd like to talk to you about that is because that's what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter, chapter 5. I've had a few people through the years say, Pastor, you, you always have people call on you for advice and encouragement. Who encourages you? And I have to scratch my head and think for a minute. And uh, usually I come up with an answer like this, some other pastor. And no one knows what the pastor goes through except another pastor. And so that's what Peter's doing here in 1 Peter chapter 5. He's looking out at the at congregations everywhere, and he's encouraging their pastors. And so we're going to begin reading in verse number one. The elders who are among you, I exhort. Elder is just one of the words in the New Testament that describes who a pastor is. It's the Greek word presbyteros. Uh, We, in our culture, talk about Presbyterians. Uh, They have a system of eldership. The uh, elders who are among you, I exhort, I encourage you, pastors. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. He says here, now this is what I want you to do, pastors. I want you to shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Take care of your flock. Uh, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. One of these days, pastors, you're going to be rewarded for your work. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, All of you be submissive to one another, that's mutual submission, and be clothed with humility. Uh, It takes some humility to be submissive, it really does. And here he quotes an Old Testament passage, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Now, here's a verse that you'll need the rest of your life. I've pulled this verse out many times. And what Peter is saying here is, listen, I want you to take all your troubles and all your worries and all your headaches, and I want you to give them to God because he really cares about you. And then he goes on and he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And maybe some of you have had that experience this week. You felt like the devil was breathing right down your neck. Well, here he says, this is what I want you to do with him. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. I know that every Sunday when you come to church, you probably think, well, you know, nobody has a problem like I do. My problems are unique. Well, the Bible says in several places that all of our problems are common among us. Uh, The problem that you think is so different is not very different. A lot of other people have the same issue that you have. Here he says, I want you to resist the devil. 
Uh, Peter has come a long way before he writes these particular letters. Uh, Remember, he's one of those ones that fell asleep when the Lord needed him. Uh, Remember, he's the one that denied the Lord uh, when the Lord needed him. And now he's a leader, and now he's a writer. Uh, I like to call Peter Exhibit A of the fact that failure is not final. You know, we trip, we stumble, we fall, we pick ourselves up. Uh, we look at ourselves at the end of the week and we think, boy, last week wasn't very good spiritually for us. Always remember this, failure is not final. Let's say it together. Failure is not final. Peter is exhibit A of that. Uh, The elders to whom he speaks here were appointed by the apostles in many areas to take care of the church. The church has to be cared for. Somebody has to care for the church. And so he went out into the area as an apostle and he said, listen, you take care of this church and you take care of this one and how about you taking care of this one? And uh, he says in verse number one, after I read verse number one, there were four words that came to my mind and they are these. I have been there. These are the most comforting words whenever you have a problem. When you go to talk to somebody and you're spilling your guts out to them, And then they say to you, listen, relax, relax, relax. I've been there. It really feels good to hear from someone who has been there. Someone who has walked in your shoes. And that's what Peter is saying right here in effect. Listen, I'm just one of you. If we had just the pastors of our church this morning up here on the platform, Pastor Jim, Pastor Ken, Pastor Al, Pastor Josh, me, and, uh, and Peter the Apostle Peter, he said he's an elder here, a fellow elder, Uh, we would all be standing on level ground, and he would say, listen, I'm just one of these guys. Peter doesn't exalt himself above other pastors. He said, I am a fellow pastor, just like you are, just like any other pastor is. Well, uh, no one knows the challenges of a pastor but another pastor. There are other words, though, that you read in the New Testament that are also synonymous. There's the word bishop. Have you ever come across that? Years ago, I used to write to Pastor Dean Nail. That's before email. That's when we actually wrote a letter. We haven't done that in a while. And I'd write, I'd write Pastor Dean Nail. I'd put Bishop Dean Nail, Northgate Bible Baptist Church, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I called him the Bishop of Pittsburgh. He'd been at his church 32 years. He'd served the Lord faithfully. Uh, bishop is a word that is synonymous with pastor. Bishop means overseer. Somebody has to oversee every congregation. Um, Somebody has to uh, also shepherd. That's another word, the congregation. And so when you run across these terms, they're just the same term, but they have just a little bit different shade of meaning. They all mean the pastor, the elder, the bishop, the shepherd. He said, I'm one of you. And then he says, listen, I I am a witness of the suffering of Christ. Now, this is good because, because what he's trying to do is encourage these pastors out there to keep witnessing. You know, sometimes we get so beat down, we say to ourselves, how could I ever get up to witness to anybody? I'm so discouraged myself. How could I ever? You know, I'm not fit to be a witness. He said, listen, this is what I want you to do. He said, I am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings. I'm one of you, but I, but I keep witnessing. And what does he say he witnesses about? He witnesses about the sufferings of Jesus. This should be on our lips. Whenever you and I talk to people, we should go immediately there. 
Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures. Because that's what opens people's hearts. People don't know that. They know that Jesus died on the cross, but they don't know it was for them. They think it was for someone else in Africa or India or China or Korea. For them, personally? Well, he said, I'm a witness of the suffering of Christ. I've told you a few times about my doctor. I don't know exactly how old Dr. Kaplan is, but he called me the other day. And he always says, hi, Reverend Arnold. He says, I want to come back to church. I think he means in the spring. He wants to come back to church. I think he's somewhere near 95 right now. He's retired. And uh, I remember when I was in his doctor's office, he was checking my heart out. You know, it's a stethoscope, and, you know, you're doing all that breathe deep and all this stuff. And, and so I'm the quoting, quoting the scriptures. His face is right here, and I'm quoting Isaiah 53 to him. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him with his stripes were healed. He said, Pastor John Arnold, I want to go to your church. And he came. And he told somebody in our church that Jesus is his Savior too. Well, it's a good thing whenever you talk to people to open the conversation with the sufferings of Christ. Do you know what Jesus did for you? Because that opens your heart. Whenever you see what Jesus did for you, it melts your heart to see that here was the just dying for the unjust. Um, and so this is what he said he was into. He was witnessing for the, of the sufferings of Christ. Now sometimes when we see that word witness, we think we, it, if somebody sees something. And I was reading a commentator one time. He said he didn't think that Peter saw the sufferings of Christ because, remember, he ran away. Matthew 26:56 says, All the disciples forsook him and fled. But, you know, that may be. But Peter did get a glimpse of the suffering of Christ for sure whenever he denied the Lord. Because when he denied the Lord, in Luke 22:61, the Bible says, The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He saw the the eyes of Christ, whenever he denied him. You know, there's nothing that hurts any more than somebody to turn their back on you when you really need them. Have you ever had that happen to you? Well, if you live long enough, you have a lot of, of that happen to you. Whenever you need somebody, they'll say, listen, I'm right behind you, Pastor, or I'm right behind you in your Sunday school class, or I'm right behind you in the work of the Lord, and you turn around, and they're so far behind you, you they can't they're gone. You can't see them. They're gone. And it hurts. It really hurts. And so I'm sure that whenever Peter denied the Lord, I think it hurt the Lord. Uh, and so he said, listen, I'm a witness of the suffering. And then he says, listen, I want to tell you what you need to do as a pastor. Keep your focus. Shepherd the flock of God. Care for the flock. Now, some translations use the word feed, but this word here is bigger than that. Uh, it means it encompasses everything there is about shepherding the flock of God. Shepherding the flock of God is important. It really is. Uh, guarding them. That was, that was a major job to guard the flock because uh, there were all sorts of animals out there to destroy the flock. Uh, uh, watch over them. Heal them when they're wounded. Lead them and guide them. The word shepherd here... Uh, means to take care of the complete needs of the flock. That's a big job. 
Then he goes on and he, he tells these people how to do it with the right motive. You know, serving the Lord is one thing, almost anybody can do that, but with the right motive, it's harder. And so he goes into the details right here, and I want, I want to draw this to your attention this morning in verse 2. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Uh, I've seen uh, people get pastors in their church uh, that didn't really want to go. But because the church needed them, they kind of forced them. Hey, come here and help us. And the, and the, and the person went with their heels dug in and they're dragging them all the way. And it didn't work because they didn't do it willingly. He, they did it forcibly. Uh, and so he said, listen, I, I want you to serve willingly. I want you to be a willing servant. I want you to want to do this rather than have to do this. And then I want you to notice, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Not for money, covetousness, greediness. Uh, We hear stories all the time about people enriching themselves through the ministry, don't we? You know, it's right to support Christian leaders, uh, but... uh, but that's, that's the limit. We don't serve the Lord because of what we get. He says, listen, don't do this thing for money. Uh, the ministry is not something that we do to get. It's something that we do to give. And, uh, you know, it, take, it would take all the fun out of the ministry if somebody was in the ministry for what they could get. It would take all the fun out of it. Uh, they, they would analyze everything that's going in the church with dollar signs. And, boy, that's the furthest thing from having the right motive. Because dollar signs shouldn't be a part of anything uh, in the ministry. Now, it comes in good when you can pay the light bill. I know that. But uh, not for a person to serve for that purpose. I told you before that Joanne and I went to a pastor's fellowship meeting in Nashville, Tennessee one time, and they had quite an array of of, uh, speakers there. They were really uh, well qualified. And uh, there was one speaker who had a mega church in uh, Kentucky. And uh, he was a terrific, terrific communicator. I mean, it was like, whoa. Uh, he was awesome. And he had this church, and it was just loaded with people. And, and uh, he was telling us pastors uh, that somebody came to his church one time, his big church, and came up to him after it was over and said, you know, the reason why I came to this church is because I drove by your house, and I saw the type of house you live in. And you don't, uh, you don't flaunt money. Uh, you just live in a common way, and that's the reason I'm here in this church, because we've seen a lot of ministerial-type people uh, that uh, just enrich themselves and try to live above other people. Well, he says, listen, I don't want you to do this. Don't be covetous. Uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 11 says this. Let's read it. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. There's a lot of crooked ministers out there. Do you know that? Just turn on the television and you'll see a few of them. There's a lot of crooked ones. And they're not in it for what they can give. They're in it for what they can get. And, and so here he says, listen, I don't want you to do that because it would be kind of easy to do that. It really would. Well, you know, when a person serves for money, they'll flee when the money runs out. The ministry is not about getting things. It's about giving things. And then, he's, and then he uses one more example here. 
He says in verse number three, not as being lords over those entrusted you, but being examples to the flock. Someone told me one time that what you do speaks so loud, they cannot hear what you say. Uh, Leading by example, that's important, isn't it? And then he says, listen, the example that I want you to lead by is humility. Now, if you live long enough, you'll get some humility. Do you know that? I'm living proof of that. If you live long enough, you'll get some humility because humility comes from humiliating circumstances. You'll be humiliated enough to have humility. And and that's a good thing. Uh, And uh, and here in the Bible, he, uh, he quotes an Old Testament passage, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He said, this is the way I want you to serve. Uh, I want you to serve a humble way and be a good example. Mark 10.43 says this. Let's read it. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many, um, Karen Juskowitz is in our church, and she'll be—I think she'll be praying the piano here in a minute for our communion service. But we just had her father's funeral. He was a minister for many years, and Karen told me that for a period of, of six months, she never—he never took a check from the church. Uh, he just served, not for what he could get, uh, but what he could give. Now that's a mark of someone who's serving with the right motive.